Hello and welcome to part two of the Chatty AF Death Parade podcast for Anime Feminist. My name is Caitlin Moore, one of the managing editors for Anime Feminist and a reviewer at Anime News Network. You can find me on Twitter at AltunoDere. And with me today, once again, are my fellow staff member Meru and repeat contributor Tony Sun. Hi, I'm Tony Sun. I'm uh, a repeat contributor at Anime Feminist, where I've written articles about Madoka and Sato Sanmai, currently working on another article for them. I um, am a teacher and sometimes organizer, and I like to write about um, like abolition politics and anime and culture and teaching. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Poet Pedagogue, where I post about pretty much everything. Love it. My name is, as you all know, Meru, and I am a staff editor here at Anime Feminist, as well as a Japanese to English light novel and visual novel editor. Um, You can find me on Twitter at Pixelated Lenses, where I also talk a lot about being Black, um, intersectionality through anime, and lots of cool things. So you may be asking yourself, why a two-part retrospective instead of just doing a watch-along? And the answer to that is Death Parade has a lot to talk about, is a very thematically dense work, and it only really works when you talk about it uh, in its whole, instead of splitting it up into uh, chunks. So I was going to do a one episode one and I looked at the show notes and I said, there's just way too much to talk about to fit into one hour. I will die and we will not be able to talk about anything in any kind of depth. So I will, if we try, I will die and I will be sent to be judged and I will be carrying all these unfinished business feelings about um, not being able to finish talking about Death Parade and I might get sent to the void so (laughs) that's how that works right that's how Uh, it works exactly exactly so if you're listening to this episode without listening to the first part um i do recommend going back because we do talk about some of the beginnings of some of the topics that we're going to cover with this one and yeah Let's just jump in and get into it. Let's talk about themes. So something that comes up a lot with um, Death Parade, specifically in kind of our community, um, people who talk about anime through a feminist lens, is that women seem to get uh, punished more harshly in this show. Um, Like, just in the first episode alone, what's his name? Takashi is really really terrible to her um he tries to attack her and yet she cheated he gets sent to be reincarnated and she gets sent to the void and so i took note of that as well um my first time watching it and in my second time watching it seeing it knowing kind of the shows you know what the show talks about ultimately is is that intentional? Um, is it deliberate that women come from harsher circumstances? They are more likely to have that kind of desperation or that they are trying to 
they are socialized to kind of cover up and uh, assuage men's feelings and therefore their what they say and their choices lead them to be more harshly judged um, as worse people basically yeah I think it's this <clears throat> I think it's this really interesting playing straight of the notion of like women being very self-sacrificial of like the actual outcome of that is that when women sacrifice and I and I should say I'm using women very specifically right. talking about cis women because like mm-hmm. this is this is something that I think if you're a marginalized gender you experience mm-hmm. as well like I can certainly say I am not a woman um but I experience this by proximity to black womanhood and being raised as a black woman um despite not at all identifying but like I think in the case of cis women specific like when you encourage an entire gender category to sacrifice this is the only outcome that can come right is like that they the person sacrificing is going to be in a lot more pain because of how much they're having to give up and how much autonomy and so when you think about that first episode because I rewatched it this time and what became immediately clear to me was I was like, oh, yeah, she's just throwing herself wholeheartedly into the situation because she knows the truth and she understands like what drove her to this one time incident where she did cheat. But like she also understands that there's nothing she can do to convince um, what is his name? Takashi? Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing there's nothing she can do to convince him of her of her innocence so like what is there what's left to lose if you're already dead (laughs) and it's Mm -hmm. really it's really grim it's really grim and it's very Mm -hmm. unsatisfying but i also think that like it's kind of the brutality of when you look at encouraging marginalized people to sacrifice it's really nightmarish like it's a very nightmarish end if I can add like a tra- a trans feminist perspective, it's not just cis women, also trans women. Like, if you're a trans femme or a trans girl, and you and you don't engage in that, if you refuse that, then it's referred to as part of your quote unquote male socialization to invalidate your gender, right? Um, and so it's it's really interesting how like these these ideas get weaponized to push all women into these into forcing themselves to self-sacrifice, you know, or have their gender policed either through, you know, with trans women misgendering or through just brutal violence, right, with cis women. I I think it's also interesting to me that, like, Chiyuki explicitly pretty much calls out Deckham for being, like, for having a misogynist reading of what was going on. She's like, that was terrible. Like, clearly that woman... Well, I mean, she seems a little unsure of herself when she says this, or but she seems like she's developing her like right. ability to talk mm-hmm. back, right. Mm-hmm. To like talk back to the system. But she says very explicitly, like, yeah, she, this woman clearly was um, trying to protect her husband's feelings about killing his own baby. Right. So, she, so over and over again, she's protecting mm-hmm. this man from the consequences mm-hmm. of his own actions, whether it's the consequence of him, like, killing both of them or killing the baby or, you know, trying to steal her dart and, 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 you know, hurt her. Right. And it, it, it really hurts that then for that, she ultimately. She, it's her eternal gets, suffering. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there's right. so much going on with that because a, 
she is judged more harshly for cheating on him the one time Once. than he is the than he is for literally driving them to their death with his jealousy. It it evoked the same feelings that I have around kind of the conversation of sexual assault and rape, especially in the States of like, what was she wearing? Um, Did she create a situation that could have invited it? And it's just like, she cheats once, clearly regrets it. Did it because her husband would not stop suspecting that she was Mm -hmm. cheating. And, and like, he gets, he gets, I mean, she sacrifices. And as we, as we know from the show, like the void is just, endless awareness that you are suffering forever and ever which is horrible and like he gets a second chance and i and tony i really appreciate you saying kind of the adding a trans feminist rating because like i will fully admit while i am trans like i i do think that being raised afab sometimes obscures my ability to to kind of word what i feel and include trans women. And I do think it's important because I think trans women and trans femmes have to prove themselves twice over as being willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. in order to fit a very specific mold. And there's an inherent cruelty in asking someone to prove themselves. Um, yeah. That like, I don't, I can't speak to, but I, I think should be spoken to, especially in context of this. I do think there's also a very kind of cruel irony that, you know, women are expected to self-sacrifice that, you know, we are judged if we are not self-sacrificing as being improperly womanhood. And, but then that socialization also because she is sacrificing herself to try to save Takashi's feelings, she gets sent to the void yeah like she is trying to do what has been kind of drilled into her is the woman's role in the relationship and that role gets her consigned to the void it's it's horrible right because partly to do that engage that role she has to perform a stereotype of you know the conniving crazy woman right she purposefully plays the stereotype right so that so that he so that she, she ultimately p- performs the thing that he suspects that she is right and and you know she 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 placates his bizarre male gaze right and mm-hmm. then she's punished for it and it it's it's like it reminds me of when I'm working with children, right? And you know, and there's teachers who are constantly going on and on to them about like, oh my god, you're just like the worst kid, blah 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 blah, you know, or like yelling at the class and being like, oh my god, y'all are the worst. You need to stop talking, you know, all these different things. And then it's like the the class feels terrible, so they're like, I guess I'll just mm-hmm. play that. If that's what really what you, if that's going to help you feel, you know, and I I don't think that's necessarily an act of kindness on that class's part, but there is this element of, right, like, people often, like, the the circumstances, the oppressive circumstances often force people to become what they're, to become what they're being stereotyped as, and then punish them for that, for being that stereotype. It's a very cruel inversion of rising to someone's expectations, right? Of if you're told, if you're told you are this negative or pejorative thing over and over again eventually it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of like if no one's going to expect better of you 
what point is there? And it's really, I think in the context, especially of like, when you get into BIPOC people, it's really horrible. Mm. Yeah. Like, and it, it, it it's it's really quite cruel yeah. and i i think you know i i i get the feeling the show is certainly going to circle to this because like what what stood out to me from machiko's punishment is she's punished and then decim decim remember decim realizes in episode two like oops i made a mistake and he's just scolded he's just scolded and it's too late yeah no, too- he's like this woman is in the void yeah you don't you don't take a dip in the void and get to come back like she's gone Mm -hmm. she's she's just and like she's gonna have to suffer the rest of eternity knowing that like she didn't do these things that she that she claimed for the sake of performing her gender Mm -hmm. and meanwhile i guess her husband just gets to go on and be reincarnated and have a good second life Mm -hmm. and and like that moment when deckham realizes that like oh I was wrong. It's just like, yeah, dude, you were. Yeah. But it's too late. It's too late. You've already cast aspersions. And this person doesn't get a second chance. Mm-hmm. The, the decision was made. And it's also interesting. Well, because like Nona, like, is then like, she, both of y'all are wrong. Because clearly this guy is irredeemable. They could never have had a happy life because this guy would have constantly have suspected her of cheating. And what's interesting about that is like, you know, the question of, and and I guess this is going to get into like what we're going to talk about later, which is like about people as constantly Mm -hmm. changing or Mm -hmm. fixed, right? But there, there is this question when we're working with like abuse and like, I think abuse is the, one of the constant through lines of the show. And it's, really interesting how this show thinks about abuse because there's this question of like are is abuse something that eventually you become so accustomed to doing that you cannot stop doing it right you know or is it something that we can engage in transformative justice Mm -hmm. and change a person you know with enough work to to rehabilitate them and that is a very open question in transformative justice work there's many transformative justice organizers who simply are not interested at all in rehabilitating the abuser. All they're interested mm-hmm. in is yeah. supporting the abused, right? Yeah. I think we've got to dip into carceral feminism because, like Tony, okay. that, that's just that's just setting us up for we've got to talk about it. We've oh, but I also wanted it. to kind of dip into talking yeah. about Misaki. Okay, okay, let's let's, let's do that. Let's do that. I can uh, save my I can save because my feels. <laughs> that is also another discussion of abuse. Um, Misaki is a woman who has. She got pregnant young, married the man. She is married and been abused by men over and over. She has seven children. All of their fathers hit her. And now she has mm-hmm. found a place in life where she has been successful. But she is also desperate for that success. And she also doesn't know anything but violence. You know, she hits her she hits her assistant for She's scheduling a- over when she... what for scheduling something during what was going to be family time because she's a product of her environment yeah because her children are precious to her and it wasn't right to hit that assistant but then also like when she is playing that game she's told her life is at stake and she has been beaten and abused over and over and she knows that she's not good at video games unlike this young man that she's playing against and so she turns to desperate measures like 
what what do you do with that like she gets sent to the void is that fair like it honestly it hurts it hurts it's and because what she did was wrong right yeah it was so wrong but also how else was she supposed to to handle it with right. the life that she's had? Well, and that's the thing is I feel like in that episode, and I don't know if it's just a case of there's not room, but like what stuck out to me this time is that at 30, having the understanding of like someone can do wrong and that wrong can come from a place of like they did not grow up with better. Like, and, and, and also this expectation that we have of people who have been victimized by abuse that they need to be better they need to be like paragons of goodness to prove that they have risen above instead of the fact that like abuse alters every part of you every part of you it alters how you react to fear it alters yeah. how you can be kind it alters and like also why do we expect abuse people to just be kind and gracious as if like they have not suffered and so it's it's really it's really horrible seeing that like this woman who and and it's never touched upon, but I definitely was like, are these children products of rape? Like she has five kids that she loves, mm. but as part of what's going on here, she loves them, but also like these children are reminders of like her abuse. And so, you know, you have that. And she goes to the void because she has one bad day. She has one bad moment and does brutalize a guy, which that's bad. Yes, we can yeah. we can agree that beating up a guy and slamming his face into an arcade machine is bad. But she has one bad day, and that cost her everything. And I love that mm. Death Parade doesn't give you an answer, right? It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't say, you know, she goes to the void, but also the whole system is being called into question. Yeah. So I feel like I do feel like women are more harshly treated in this show, but I do. But also I have the sense that it is a deliberate thing and it's not spelled out, um, which can sometimes make that harder to, to, you know, viewers don't always suss it out because anime usually spells things out, really, well, right? It, 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 mm -hmm. But, yeah, you know, on discussion, on, on contemplation, like I really do feel like that had to have been a choice. It, it feels like a critique. I, I also think there's an interesting question of motherhood, right? And, and I think motherhood is a theme mm -hmm. that comes up over and over again. Like the contrast, like different mothers who have different kinds of experiences, right? Like in that same episode, like, like Yusuke's um, stepmother is trying to prove herself yeah. to be a good mother mm -hmm. to him, right? And it's like ultimately Yusuke's stepmother, you know, her the the food and him accepting her as his mother that allows him to beat this mother. And and, and there there was this kind of question like at the heart of that is like, is this show kind of contrasting um Misaki with, you know, the, the real good mother, you know? And I, I don't but I don't think that's what it's trying to yeah. do. But it is interesting that there's these these moments where there's two different character. There's two different mothers who are shown to be like caring and loving, and still their children end up committing suicide, yeah. right? And and so it it calls into question. I think part of and it and what's interesting is the show never blames those mothers for like for for you know their children's yeah. death, right? Which of course right. good, right. <laughs> obviously. Um, <laughs> and also, you know, um, I I think that. 
and we're going to get more into the kind of suicidality later in the show because there's mm-hmm. a lot going on there. But I, I I will say this episode in particular felt to me like a critique that you could look at from like, whether you're talking about Japan specifically or you're talking about on a more global scale of like people who are marginalized are often put into abusive situations. That it's just a fact that to a degree, mm-hmm. the more marginalized you are, the more society is willing to kick you around. It's mm-hmm. a really horrific fact. And it's like, I have nothing kind to say about that because mm-hmm. like as a black queer trans person, like, yeah, it, it it's, it's an injustice. Um, and, and it's, it's, but like when it comes to motherhood as a concept, like this episode is really interesting because what it says is like, if you are perceived as a mother, you are never allowed to have a bad day. Because mm-hmm. if you do, if you do, mm-hmm. what's going to happen is you're going to lose it all. And that's, and unfortunately in Japan and at the world, at, in the world at large, that's not untrue. No, mothers like, have to be paragons. Like imagine, yeah. you know, think, I think of, um, on TikTok in the, in 2020 and 2021, like the spate of like, Karen videos of mothers that when you sometimes I'm not saying that like there aren't there aren't people out there there aren't especially in this case specifically white cis women that are playing into that kind of Karen archetype that has now become a just popular vernacular term but I think of like people getting captured on their worst day in their worst moment who maybe just don't actually behave like that but something has just pushed them and and this this is kind of this interesting lens of like Misaki had one bad moment that happened to be viewed. And that's mm-hmm. not to say she hadn't been rude before. Obviously she had because her assistant strangles her, which is also bad, but like she had one bad time as a mother and just wanted to try and rise to the standard of mother and like she couldn't so her punishment is literally death. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's just this kind of very poignant commentary on like, especially when you think of Japanese motherhood and how like, you know, you need to do this and this and that so that your child's a good citizen, so that your child behaves so that, you know, and, and, and all of those things and, and how like heavy that is to have on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it does, it kind of come back to the central core of, how fair it is is it to try to actively bring out the worst in people and judge them on that yeah because if we if all three of us were judged by our worst moments maybe we would all three be found found worthy of the void i know certainly i've had some bad public moments oh, gosh i can be mean <laughs> i mean you and know, that's I've- what i tell that's what i tell my kindergartners like you know, they're talking about how like so and you know, we have a child who has some developmental delays, specifically in social emotional regulation. Um, you know, without going a whole, you know, sometimes they'll be like, Oh, she's bad, she's mean. I'm like, no one is just bad or just mean. Yeah. Everyone can be mean sometimes. I'm mean sometimes. And they like the first time I said that, they like stared at me with their mouths open, like, what? I'm like, Yeah. I can be really mean. I mean, and you know, I, I'm someone who I live with a mood disorder and like, if I were judged for the times before I got treatment that helped me, I I would certainly someone could cast aspersions, but am I worth that? Is anyone worth that? There, there are there. I think there's a difference between people who are deliberately doing what we would consider an evil act 
versus someone who's just having a real shit time. I, I mean, I think about that sometimes. Like, I teach high schoolers, right, and middle schoolers, and you know, I'm always under. Like last year, I was having a really horrible day, and one of and a kid just came in and started videoing me when I was like having a bad day, and I freaked out. I was like, "Y'all, please do not do that. What right. on earth?" And I was like, wait. And then I thought back to all the times that I'd seen videos of like teachers being bad to their students and like how, and and like, obviously, you know, that's like, you know, teachers need to work on it. But I do think teaching has a lot of parallels mm-hmm. to motherhood in terms of how it's treated in society and how, in the expectations that mm-hmm. are placed on teachers on. to be always this, you know, perfect, you know, and you think about that, that's being on like for five hours oh, out of your day, more. right? If you're working in early childcare, you're probably with kids for eight hours. Well, and I, I think it's easy. It's easy to elide the humanity of people that we think should be above it all and forget that they are human like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Like it is very easy to think, oh, well, you're a teacher. So you should be able to handle the classroom. Well, I don't look, I'm going to be real. If I had to handle 30 children, maybe I would not be a nice person in one moment either. Maybe oh, I would have I a can... very human moment. Yeah, no, like I've gotten really upset and be like i don't want to be the mean teacher but i don't know how else to react when you're acting like this because you're still a human like we can and and i think that's what makes misaki so interesting is like yeah sure you someone Mm -hmm. could say she rationally shouldn't have done what she done she should have she should have risen above it and shouldn't have let her trauma become such a part of her. Mm-hmm. But I think that often when people say that, A, they have not experienced extreme trauma. B, uh, that's two middle fingers to you. Mm-hmm. And C, like, you're still a human. Mm-hmm. And to be human is to err and it's to feel. And like, I just don't think she should have gone mm-hmm. to the void. Yeah, no, she shouldn't have. I mean, it makes me think of, um, have you guys seen The Good Place? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, parade kind of is um like the other side of the same of a similar coin to the to the good place. I think Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because the good place is another absolutely show that is about death and judgment and you know how do you judge people? How is it fair to judge people when they are the products of their? environments and of their lives yeah like i said i mean everyone is one bad day away from being judged as horrible yeah so yeah um y'all if you've watched death parade and you haven't watched the good place watch the good place it's honestly a really incredible show so good um that has a lot of the same kind of ideas I know we were going to get into a conversation about carceral feminism, but I'm wondering whether, like, that's the conversation we can get into when we talk about, like, judgment yeah. and impermanence yeah. and all that sort of yeah. thing, or whether that's yeah. something let's, we should get into talk, now. Yeah, let's talk I'm, about that. I was going to say, I'm always itching to talk about carceral feminism and my very big feelings on it. <laughs> yeah. Like, Tony, I think you were the one who added that to the show notes, and so, like... Tell us, tell oh. us about it. Yeah, I was going to say, Tony, can you give like, because I think carceral feminism is a term, even though it's been around since I believe about 07, 08. I think it's a term a lot of people don't mm-hmm. know. So could you give us like a quick, like few sentence rundown of what it is? Well, at its simplest, the idea is that the idea behind what we term carceral feminists, and I doubt any carceral feminist would call themselves a carceral feminist. 
um, they would just call themselves a feminist. Um, but the idea behind it is that the best way to protect women from sexual violence is to punish men who commit it more harshly through enhancing sentencing. So increased length of period that they're in prison, more like more heavy prosecution of men who commit um, sexual violence. Um and, and, you know, just general, and the critique of it, of course, is that it's really just shoring up a prison industrial complex that actually doesn't really do much to support survivors of sexual violence, in fact, often harms them, right? So I used to organize with a group called Survived and Punished. We would, um, we would work with survivors of sexual violence who were put in prison before fighting back against their, their abusers. And one of the big things that we were always emphasizing is that the system actually functions more often to punish survivors of sexual violence, right, than to punish the people who perpetrate it. And in the end, you know, putting more people in prison very rarely actually, you know, leads to leads to um, f- uh, f- fewer instances of sexual violence because what do those people who commit rape do in prison? They rape people, you know? Trans women, for example, like, trans women, like, I would, I, I think I read a statistic somewhere that said that, like, just a humongous number, like, some, I forget whether it was, like, 34% or 54% of trans women experience rape in prison, right? So, you know, it, at a certain point, it... And I think that this relates to Death Parade because, especially because of the two-episode piece where we're talking about men's reactions to their sister, their wife, somebody in their lives, some woman in their lives being raped in their desire to protect those women through vengeance, right? Oh, man. And who, boy, the, the, the moment where that... Where what's his name? What's the name of the character the, of the, um, the we, young boy? His name is um oh gosh, uh, it is Shimoda, I believe. Yeah, Shimada. I mean, the moment where he decides that he is going to like do the horrible thing, do the thing, is when the other person goes to Mon and says, "You need to protect your, you know, women, right?" And you can and and there's a very interesting quote where he's where 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 the detective and this is a detective this is literally the embodiment of the prison industrial complex he's a cop he is talking to right this cop character literally says to him quote unquote if you can't protect someone you love all you can do is kill the other guy right mm-hmm. they've really given away the the game here right just. That the, the the prison industrial complex does so little to actually protect women from sexual violence, but so much to shore up this false mm-hmm. sense of safety. It's all right? That if we get that if something horrible happens to us, if we get raped, if we uh, have something like this happen, we'll be able to get justice. Right? We'll be able to get vengeance, even if we are not actually safe. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think this show is very clear about that. I I and especially through that detective character and what he ultimately does. You have the gut punch of the detective being like, but I needed to see her get assaulted. Yeah. I needed to see the crime play out so I could have a reason yeah. to take this dude out. And I was like, what? Cause I that forgot. was shocking when that, that happened. Did, that did not hit until this time for a lot of very personal reasons. And I was like, I had to roll back because I was watching the dub and like, so the English hit and I was like, excuse me. And he says, yeah, he has to watch 
the crime occur so that he can have a reason Mm -hmm. to go and, and take this dude out, which is a whole other issue. But like, it is, you know, the, the result being that this detective really does uphold the system. And the system says that if you do a crime, the best thing the state could do is decide if your life is worthwhile. And like, oftentimes, depending on where you are in society, like your life isn't worthwhile. And if you, I, I think the thing that stuck out for me in um, episode nine, when they're talking is that the detective says some people need to be put down. And that's just a, and, and, and he says like, it's society's trash. But what counts as society's trash, right? Because like, if we go back to Misaki, she would be society's trash. Sees a single mother with a bunch of yep. children in like mm-hmm. the most got knocked gross- up as a teenager. Right. Yeah. She's and, and and she's she's kind of like she's she's using her femininity to work. Like she's on a reality TV show. She is primed for society to hate. She's exactly what we love to hate in femininity, right? And so like she would be society's trash. A lot of these characters could count as that. And it's just like that those two episodes really epitomize this show's kind of thesis on the system, which is that maybe the system isn't good. Maybe it's bad. Maybe it's really bad. And that's what known as trying to change is like, if there's humanity in the system, how do we treat people who have been so bereft of humanity? Which I, I think safe to say I'm very against uh, extending Jail sentences, I don't, I mean, I think as a Black person, I feel some kind of way about the prison industrial complex to begin with, seeing as policing came about due to a confluence of believing that runaway slaves had a mental disease, as well as that they needed to be kept as property. So I'm not really for the police. But like, when I think of the show and the system, like, saying that you should extend someone's suffering is the most inhuman thing that we can decide Mm -hmm. as a society. It's cruel. It's Mm -hmm. just cruel. And to to look at someone and say, I think that you are society's dregs. And as such, I'm willing to pay money so that you stay imprisoned and you never get a second chance is the cruelest thing we can do. And and, and like something that I think about, like in that moment of like the gaze, like the Mm -hmm. watching of the violence happening, right? Is there's a sense that like, like all the different times where, you know, we... There's so many different apparatuses that the state sets up to surveil the violence that mm-hmm. happens to yeah. us, right? And enumerate it and, like, mm-hmm. you know, quantify it. And, I, like, Sedia Hartman kind of talks about it. Like, I know I'm bringing in the theory, but the Sedia Hartman talks about it in Scenes of Subjection, like, you know, the constant iteration of especially Black suffering, but, like, you know, suffering more generally, like as this kind of scene, this kind of almost borderline entertainment, right? But never actually leading to anybody taking action to prevent mm-hmm. the violence, right? Um, it, it's But only used to judge society or to judge people, right? You know, but never to actually, okay, let's see how we can, like, end this system that is, like, mm-hmm. systematically harming people. So there's this kind of feeling of of this tension at the end Mm. because i feel like a lot of stories about creating some systemic change and in this kind of big revolution 
and things are different now, right? But that's not how it goes in Death Parade. It the end, yeah. they, you know, Deckham is changed. Deckham, yeah, and Deckham's kind of his feelings are changed. His um, sense of humanity has changed. You know, he he can see humans with empathy, which was what they wanted to avoid, right? The idea is that arbiters should not feel emotions because um, that kind of takes away from their impartial judgment and they cannot experience death because it would make them too similar to humans. And Deckham is no longer impartial. He tries to see from the perspectives of humans he feels fondness for humans he cares although he always had that respect for a life well lived right right but now he cares about that life that life has meaning but the system is still there in place and nona is has backed off from it from trying to create that change because oculus is watching her a little too closely that kind of hampers her ability to do anything if she keeps trying to do this project this reform then that could mean huge consequences for her without anything actually changing on a grander scale and it's a very kind of downbeat uh more realistic ending than a lot of these series i think and I'm just curious, how do you guys feel about that? I actually found myself this watch feeling this deep sense of optimism because yes, the system is still in place, but the fact that there is one person who has changed, who is starting to see that we have to administer death with humanity gave me a lot of hope Partially because I think we're having that conversation on a bigger scale in the States of who has the right to be human, who has the right to be perceived as themselves, as legally human, as legally, let's just put it out there, trans, for instance, as legally able to vote, these kind of bigger questions. And I felt this sense of optimism from that finale because it is it is very much so played straight, like it's a gut punch. Because you're like, yeah, she's gonna. it's going to be another 82 years before she gets to change the system. But like she pushed it and it stuck. Deckham doesn't get his memory wiped. Like he just, he's he does that little smile at the end and he gets to keep that part of himself. And I was like, you know what? Sometimes momentum is slow and it hurts because it sucks that it takes so long for things. But I felt this kind of hope that I was like, you know what? If he can change, so can others. Like others can come around to changing the system and who knows, maybe there's a future where the entire system is upended. So, yeah. I, I'm, I might like a slightly disagree if that's okay. Oh, no. Yeah, please, please. I, I find the ending really interesting. Like it reminds me of so many times that I've seen where people try to change a system and then just get stomped down so hard now, admittedly, Deckham himself doesn't get punished super hard, but it's very obvious that Oculus now has his eye on them, right? And, it's, and, it, and to me, it's like, the, if any system where there's still people getting sent down to avoid where they will be eternally suffering at all, is like, messed the fuck up. Um, so, mm-hmm. like, 
I, oh, yeah. I and like I, to me, it's like very much. I I almost feel like with with um with decadence, like the the director was trying to reach for like the kind of revolution that he want that he would like to create in this series, but. I, I I think there is a slight not not a failure of imagination because I don't think that's what's going on here, but a a real like struggle to imagine what a real revolution that actually abolishes these oppressive systems would look like when it comes from these individuals trying to change the system, right? And 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 I think that that is an interesting struggle, and it's a struggle that like I. I personally love to see that struggle. You see that same struggle mm. when you watch like Madoka and Mod- especially like Madoka Rebellion. Yeah. You see that same struggle mm-hmm. in so many different anime. And I think it's, in- it's, it's, a good place. it's an interesting choice that Death Parade decides to be like, and yeah, the, no, <laughs> one person maybe can't change a system on their own. Mm-hmm. And I, And I think my optimism might be coming out of like, God, I just love it when one person says, I see humanity. And I think that in and of itself, I have to question, why do I feel so optimistic when one person sees my humanity? Mm-hmm. Like, what is it? That? And like, we don't, that that's a very like, who knows, I'm probably going to write something because mm-hmm. I have a lot of big feelings because like, yeah, why, why, why do I feel that optimism this time of like, wow, one person changed? <laughs> one. Yeah. 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 And I think, well, and once again, this brings me back to The Good Place, because I remember watching The Good Place as it was coming out, and that kind of feeling of like, okay, well, they're just going to you know, change the numbers, and so now only bad people will go to hell. But uh, guys, spoilers for The Good Place, um, skip ahead 10, well, maybe stop listening here for a little while. Um they say no to hell with it. Well, no, not to hell with it. To hell with yeah. nothing. Hell, the whole concept of hell is wrong because people come out of the systems that they were born into, and they're just people are most for the most part just doing their best. Right. Well, and and I I, I think that's what's so impressive about Death Parade because Death Parade does push back in the finale of the concept of like. There's no evil. There's no like mm-hmm. pure evil that just doesn't exist. There are people who do make choices. Mm-hmm. Those acts in and of themselves can be horrible, but like pure evil as someone being born into that does not exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the good place ends with abolition. I gotta get on watching the good place. <laughs> Death Parade doesn't do that, and I appreciate that it actually. It I don't think it does have that kind of optimist optimistic feeling of. Well, one person changed. Yeah. Uh, therefore, you know, that can lead to the whole system changing. It says, well, one person changed, but now what? And it doesn't have an answer for that. I actually really appreciate you both pushing back because I do think what what I'm experiencing is like, yeah, I think my excitement was I was like, oh, one person saw humanity. Yay! Yeah, and like, listen, just, and listen, we love enough. Deckham. We love Deckham. We love here. Deckham, but Deckham's not enough. There's a whole tower of people that need to see. There's a whole system in place that has to change. Seven thousand people are dying every hour, and yeah. they're all being judged. Yeah, and with that, 
like they're not getting long judgments. They're having to work through real quick. We, you know, we're getting 24 minute anime episodes, but like, who's to say that in reality, that time, that's, that's a mere snapshot mm-hmm. of like the amount of time they've got to move through. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's going to take a lot to even get to reformist for the system, but it's certainly going to take a lot for them to get to abolitionism. Yep. Mm. Tony, do you want to talk a bit about the kind of the um, the Buddhism and the transformative justice and cycles of abuse? Yeah, I feel like we touched upon it a lot when talking about, it's her name Misaki? Misaki, right? We talked about that quite a bit, but like in general, like what I was going to say is like, I think that a large part of the show is questioning of like, are people static or constantly transforming and one of like the main like kind of i buddhist ideas about identity is that we are constantly changing and you know the 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 idea of a self is an illusion right even our sense of selves Mm -hmm. is an illusion right and so that that means that we can change and will change right um and we don't have to be stuck in a continuous cycle Mm -hmm. but yeah i think like what what's interesting to me about and I guess maybe we this can like lead into a discussion of how the like the show applies to our lives is how that relates to like the the larger sh- the show's larger critique of like organized abandonment because I think part of a large part of what the show is arguing is that so many people in our society are effectively organized abandonment is a concept that comes from Ruth Wilson Gilmore who's like an abolitionist theorist and she essentially argues that certain groups of people are consigned to suffering by our society for and systematic abandonment they're put in prisons they're you know they're they um are not protected they experience horrible violence on the street they're put in homeless shelters right i think what the show is calling out is how the people who experience that kind of organized abandonment right of certain groups are then judged for what they do to survive when they have been abandoned mm-hmm. by society, right? And yeah. then a label, they are hyper-labeled. They are labeled with, you know, this is who you are. What you do to survive mm-hmm. is who you are. And you will never change. And I think, and we can see that in the sh- way the show talks about Misaki, especially how the show talks about, like, Shimada, right? Shimada. And, like, he is very explicitly, like, part of that experiencing that organized abandonment as like an orphan right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um japan specifically like they don't have a big adoption system so most children or like a foster care system so most children who end up in you know institutionalized they don't that's it that's their entire childhood and I, I, you know, I would say when you consider things like a family register and how how important being tied to a family is, like, that's isolating if you don't have that tie. People die because they're not on family registers and they can't access benefits. Yeah, it's, it's, and I'm, and I was, Tony, I was thinking about what you said about, like, people being systematically abandoned for what they do. We, I mean, if we, if listeners need an American example, think of how they talked about people in the wake of George Floyd how they called them rioters and looters when people were taking back things that they don't get. Yeah. You can look at somebody carrying out a 52 inch and be like, they don't really need that. But when you've had nothing Mm -hmm. your entire life, Mm -hmm. something feels real good. Something feels like, well, everyone wants something, you know, this show is deep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do want us to talk like briefly about, um, 
our how this show kind of and the scenes kind of touch our lives um tony and i are both teachers Mero, you have been a teacher yes um you know and so i think a lot about specifically you know i, I talked about a little bit earlier the concept of of someone being bad or mean and instead of that thinking about well what lack what is lacking for this child um you know and so in my classroom for this year i've put a lot of focus on kind of creating a feeling of belonging um particularly with this you know this one child who i've been working closely with a lot and helping the other children to not judge her and to kind of see her where her where greet her where she is and the difference between the child who walked into the room that first day and the child that we have now is night and day we had if i had just sat down and judged her when you know my co-teacher tried to talk to her for the first time and she yelled get out of my face mm. um or just randomly calling people stupid jerks you know i would have been like well we have this problem child but instead, like, you know, that's treated her, regarded her as a problem child the whole year. But instead, like trying to find what she needs, you know, I can see all of the amazing things about her and the other children are seeing all the amazing things about her. Everybody needs a little humanity. You know? Yeah. Everybody, that's that's so often just viewing someone as an equal and as a human, mm-hmm. you know, it's. You know, yeah. And it, it all ties into the organized abandonment, the the justice and judgment um you know it it all really comes together right mm-hmm. like because i mean if if teachers are going around telling each other oh this kid is a problem child blah 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 and then encouraging each other to effectively like abandon that child in that moment right try to get them out of your classroom then you are engaging in organized abandonment right and i see that every single day when i teach you know so often you know i would i would be teaching and like you know i would be i would be talking to an english teacher and you know she, you know i would be talking to her and you know she would mention a student and be like yeah somebody and she's the english teacher and she'd be like yeah somebody needs to teach this child to read and i'm like girl you're the english teacher <laughs> like what is happening here? And, you know, it's like, but the thing is that, like, we are, it's not her individual fault. It's the system was not set up to give her the tools to be able to support that child, right? And because of that, that child is experiencing organized abandonment where he, where they're not having any of the tools that they need to be able to succeed in the classroom. And, you know, then they're being read as deviant or whatever. So often, like, when I... They, they get failed. Yeah. They get... and that which is a judgment right and and it's really it's really pertinent for me like when I'm teaching like I teach mostly students who who grow up in in pretty in uh, under the 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 violence of American racism you know most of my students are black and Dominican they're, they're in the Bronx and they experience all the violence that comes with being in a low income community in New York City um and of course, all of the creativity and brilliance, right, that they bring to those circumstances and to, and to like make beauty out of you know, these experiences. And yes, so like, but often what I see is just 
the students get suspended over and over again. And then what ends up happening with those students who get suspended over and over again is that they can become even more alienated from the school. And they can tell that the school, they feel like the school does not want them there, right? It leads them to reasonably, quite reasonably reject the care that I give them, in, which reminds me of like that quote from Dessa, like from Chiyuki, where she's talking to Desim, where she's like, yeah, sometimes I guess you give them a hug before you throw them in the void. Right. Oh, when hug she reads out. him for filth. Right. And mm. like as a teacher, I also often get the sense like, wow, I act like I love these kids, but if a kid, like, you know, is doing something that is against the school rules, will I still write them up in a way that will end up getting them suspended, right? Do I give them a hug mm-hmm. on their way to the, the, the prison house, right? You know, mm-hmm. in, like, of course, you know, talking about the trajectory of what, you know, we call the school to prison pipeline, right? So mm-hmm. how, how does one act as a disruptor mm-hmm. in that system um, where you are only one person? It's hard, and you can be punished so severely for it. Um, so it's, it's, you know, often as a teacher, you end up in the position of Deckham, and you're just like, oh, what do I do? I, this just hurts more now that I know what's going on. <laughs> for me, in, 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 inclusive of, like, the, the kind of school-to-prison pipeline, this, this series made me think a lot about arbiters of death via hate crimes. Mm. And it made me think a lot of how mm-hmm. we are now living in a time where there are a very specific group of white neo-Nazi nationalists that are playing arbiter and judge, jury, and executioner via hate crimes to decide who gets to have a humanity and who doesn't. Whether that's through legislation, whether that's through pulling the trigger on a gun. It really, this show in 2022 is very hard to watch without thinking about the very real world ramifications of what it's talking about. And, and I think like that, and I really, um, I will say the one positive, the one really positive thing for me that like this show has reapplied is how I think about disability Mm. because Chiyuki, Chiyuki is someone who becomes disabled later in life. And I can say for me, I have that experience and I don't, I have always been disabled. I did not identify as someone disabled until much later in life because I didn't really understand. And I think growing up in an able society, we're often taught that if you don't have a mobility aid or a visual marker that you can't count. Whereas mm-hmm. like I have chronic fatigue and I have PCOS. I have to nap every day. If I get too cold, if certain things happen, I'm laid out. Mm-hmm. And so this show really has has made me want to actively restructure my own internal able internal ableization around like you know when you're disabled you have a right to life too and i and i think the finale Mm -hmm. really really is a reminder that like hey treat your disabled friends and loved ones with humanity because you do not understand Mm -hmm. sometimes if you're able-bodied how tenuous life can be and how hard it is to feel like you have a right to live i'm sorry i'm tearing well absolutely (laughs) i really connect with that like when i like for me like i i became really severely disabled a couple years ago well i i ended up in a position where i was having migraines like 24 7 right like i would be in constant constant Mm -hmm. pain right and so that made it so that like chiyuki the thing that i had built my life around i used to be a professional saxophonist or aim to be at least i was working towards it right and i was getting gigs 
And I could not do do that anymore because every single time I would do it, I would be in even worse pain. And I realized at a certain point this year that I would never probably be able to play the saxophone again at that level. Maybe I could pick it up once a year, Mm -hmm. but I would never be able to play every single day again. And like that feeling, Mm -hmm. like there's two things to that, like both the sense of having to completely restructure your life and really choose so intentionally, who am I going to be now that I am not that, right? We we are hitting a point where COVID-19 is now going to be a part of our daily lives. But what also comes with that is we are hitting a point where about a third of society is some level of disabled and they and and I think the cruel thing is, is we are all taught to not expect to ever be disabled unless like something bad happens and then if it happens that's the end of your life and that's really horrible. I can say as a disabled person who very much so has a good life, what a horrible thing to tell people. But like we're entering a period where like disability is going to have to be a topic. We're going to have to talk about the humanity And, you know, there's a bigger conversation. There are going to be some people who are going to make choices. And I respect if that is what they personally want to. But, you know, like. We also. We got to wrap up. (laughs) We got to wrap up. We got to wrap up. Look for the articles coming to Annie Fam. Right. I can feel feel them from the East Coast. Okay. (laughs) Really good conversation. So any final thoughts? So glad we got to talk to you, Tony. Yeah, it's so great. It was so great to having finally you. get to talk to y'all. Like I, NFM is what got me back. I, 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 God, I feel so corny. NFM is what got me back into anime. Like I was looking, like I was looking for like anime that that wouldn't like make me want to like like claw my eyes out. Like when I was getting back into anime after like taking an eight year hiatus and then finding NFM mm-hmm. and the community, like really was like oh wait anime can be connected to the things i give a crap about like resisting organized abandonment or you know (laughs) like figuring out like what it means to be a disabled person right like all these things and and i feel and i'm yeah in this show i feel like really encap in like this discussion really encapsulates what i love so much about like anime and what it can mean when you're when you're watching it and like trying to understand your life as a disabled person, as a, you know, as somebody who's experienced organized abandonment. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So just thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I, I'm so happy that, you know, I got so excited when I realized that like my death parade watch was coming up on the heels of you watching it and that we were, you know, going to be able to have this conversation maru can verify <laughs> i came crashing into the annie film discord saying i want to do a death parade podcast if i can't get three people if i can't get two more people here that's fine in fact i almost kind of hope i don't because Aww. i want to have tony on i didn't actually say all that out loud but it was what i was thinking can confirm um, <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway um <laughs> uh all right time to gather our feelings together and wrap up thank you all so much for listening to chatty af uh i hope you enjoyed our discussion i hope we gave you a lot to talk about uh thank you again to meru and to tony for being here with us if you are listening to the podcast and somehow you haven't ended up on our website that's okay we're at animefeminist.com and on twitter at animefeminist and on tumblr at animefeminist we also have lots of merch because we have the best logo on the entire internet. Um, 
And if you really enjoyed this discussion and you want to support our work, you can donate to our Patreon. Uh, we have multiple cool benefits, including a Discord server where you can talk to me and you can talk to Tony and maybe occasionally Mary. They're not Discord on it very scares much. me. Um, no, it's so nice. <laughs> but we're there and um, we have fun there, guys. So for $5 a month, we would love to have you there. And if you can't give $5, that's okay. Even a dollar a month would help. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. And live long and prosper. Be kind to each other. <laughs> <laughs> live long and prosper and be kind to each other. <laughs>